0: We'll start in John chapter 3, verse 17 from the NIV, and then we'll go back to the NLT after that. But in the NIV, it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world. So Jesus didn't come into the world to push the world further away from God. He didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus actually came to save the world and bring them back to God. Are you seeing this? The word condemn is a very powerful word. It's a very scary word. And a lot of times we end up condemning people and we're not even realizing we're condemning people. But I wanted to start this whole message by showing you that God sent his son not to condemn the world, that God's not in the condemnation business. He's actually in the restoration business. Can I get an amen? If you say amen, I'll preach better. Okay, it's going to get better from here on out. So, so God, God's in the restoration business. So before you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible says that you were actually already condemned. In other words, you were already on your way to spend eternity in the burning lake of fire. But somewhere along the way in your life, you ran into a crossroad and you ran into Jesus and you had an experience with Jesus so much so that it impacted your life. And you said to him, I surrender, I give up, I submit to your lordship. Would you please save me? Would you please forgive me? And he did all that. And you went from being condemned to being restored, the Bible says. That you went from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news. The last enemy I want to be is an enemy with God. That dog don't hunt, it don't fight, and it don't ever win. I want God to be my friend. Amen? And so, so that's what happens in the process. So Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins, our past, present, and future sins. And he came to restore us, not to condemn us. I want to pound that into your head this morning. He came to restore you, not to condemn you. Condemnation is defined as this. It's to criticize, blame, chastise, rebuke, slam, blast, or damn. How many of you want to sign up for condemnation? Come on, somebody. How many of you want to be slammed? How many of you want to be blasted? How many of you want to be damned? That's the definition of condemnation. That's why Jesus didn't come to condemn, but he came to restore. Condemnation and forgiveness are actually pulling in two different directions. Condemnation is pulling you down and forgiveness is pulling you up. You got to see this. When, When you're getting condemned or you're condemning other people, it's a downward motion. You're actually bringing death into their life but when you forgive people, you're actually rescuing them and you're pulling them up and you're bringing restoration in their life. I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. Just keep going? Okay. So condemnation and forgiveness are pulling in two different directions. We get to choose which direction we go. We get to choose what we walk into and what we don't. Do you know that when I refuse to forgive somebody, sooner or later condemnation takes up camp in my, in my territory and it starts to flow out into other people? And that though I'm a spirit-filled believer and I love God and I think I'm doing everything right, I can still be guilty of condemning people when I choose not to forgive them? Right? Go with me to, to John chapter 8. I want to show you another crazy story in the Bible. I'm telling you, you need to read your Bible. There's a lot of crazy stories in the Bible. Jesus Jesus has been up in the mountains praying and spending time with God, like we talked about last week. And in verse 2, chapter 8, it says, But early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. So get this. Let me build a little picture for you. Jesus is in the temple. There's a crowd of people around him. He's sitting down teaching them. And the religious folks kind of interrupt the whole thing. They come walking in. They're dragging this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. It doesn't say there was a rumor of her adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. And they drag her into this temple in front of everybody and throw her on the ground in front of Jesus. What a disruption. How embarrassing. Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with our sin like that? That he doesn't drag us out into the public square and throw us on the ground and say, look at this sucker. Right? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. (laughs) That's what I love about Jesus. He does some weird stuff sometimes, but it works. I'm trying to learn the art of doing things weird. I may be doing it not aware of it, but sometimes weird things get people attention. I remember one day how embarrassing it was. I danced across this thing like David playing the harp, and y'all all all laughed at me. I went home and had insecurities. (laughs) And so Jesus, in the middle of all this chaos, they're trying to trap him. They're saying, what do you say? The law says we can stone her, but what do you say? Jesus stoops down, and he starts writing in the dust. And they kept pressing him. What do you say? What do you say, Jesus? What should we do to this woman? Watch this. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. So watch this. Technically speaking, the woman should have been stoned. According to the law, she did everything to be completely stoned. I'm talking about rocks. <laughs> like actual rocks. The kind that you pick up off the ground. And what they would do is they would take those rocks and they would throw them at the person until they either repented or until they died. Okay. So if you back it up into Deuteronomy, where stoning became a part of what we did, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that you had to have at least two witnesses to qualify for somebody to get stoned. Here's the crazy thing. The first person to throw the first stone was the witness. You see, I kind of like that because it cuts out the tattletale mentality, because if you the tattletale, you got to throw the first stone. I don't know about you, but I hated tattletales in in school when I was young, right? I just hated people that would tell on me. This would have eliminated that. I wish I'd have known that. But the witness would throw the first stone. Jesus stoops down, writes in the sand, and they keep pressing him, and he's writing. And he sits, he stands up, and he goes, okay. In other words, you're right. You can stone her. She deserves to be stoned. But whoever is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then he bends back down and he keeps writing in the sand. Now, some theologians believe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Some believe he was writing their actual sin in the ground. (laughs) Crazy stuff, right? Don't mess with Jesus. Verse nine, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I'm going, what's up with the oldest? Somebody in the first service said, because they're the wisest. I said, no, they got the most sin. they were like, oh, shoot, that's me. Oh, God, you know, we're wise enough to get out the building before they got exposed. Right? Right. Jesus stands back up. He looks around and they're gone. I saw a video one time and they show the stones actually falling to the ground. The woman laying in the dirt, Jesus writing, and the stones falling to the ground as these guys are walking off. Her accusers, her condemners walked off because Jesus said to them that he who has not sinned throw the first stone. Jesus stands back up. They're gone. The crowd's still there. Come on, you know crowds are nosy, right? Crowd's not leaving. They're like, she, man, you're right in my sin. I'm watching. Yeah. Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where's your accusers? She said, they left. He said, well, didn't they condemn you? She said, no. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Did Jesus condone her sin? Did he say her sin was okay? No, because he said, don't sin anymore. He called her sin, sin, but he didn't condemn her because of it. You see, in that moment, Jesus chose to restore her and lift her up instead of condemning her and pushing her down. She deserved to be condemned, but Jesus chose otherwise. Who did she sin against? She sinned against God. Oh, and by the way, where was the man in all of this? I know some of you were wondering that. You go home and read your Bible and you figure it out. When you figure it out, you let me know. Crazy story. Jesus in that moment lifts her up and he doesn't throw her down. Some of you today have been thrown down again and again and again. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that people condemned you. I'm sorry that when they caught you in your sin, that they just kept their foot on top of you. But I want you to know something today. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is wanting to restore you and to lift you up. And to, and to say to you, go and sin no more. I wonder, I wonder if, if they actually stone her, does she quit the adultery business? Or does she get better at hiding it? Because she, con- condemnation doesn't bring life. Condemnation pushes you further into the thing that you're already stuck into. So you can't get out when people are condemning you you go further and you go further the difference is you just get better at hiding it you don't ever get caught again but i wonder when jesus forgave her and restored her if she didn't sense this this feeling of freedom and then go you know what i'm out of this i'm done it's washed clean i'm free i'm forgiven i'm going to stay free i'm just wondering When we refuse to forgive others, when they offend us, we eventually condemn them. Unforgiveness is a door that leads us to bondage in bitterness, anger, rage, wrath, judgment, gossip, slandering, and so on. So when I refuse to forgive someone, I kick open this door in my life. That the enemy can now come into freely. And he's coming into my life with his buddies called bitterness, anger and wrath and judgment and gossip. And he's bringing them all along with him. And they say, hey, they found an open door. Let's go pate at Jamie's house. And so they come inside and because I refuse to forgive someone. Now, all of a sudden, I'm feeling this stuff going on inside of me. Anybody ever felt that way? I can't sleep. You know what makes me mad the most about when people offend me is that I lose sleep and they stay sleeping. I'm sitting there wishing bad things on them and I can't sleep and I didn't do anything wrong. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody did something to hurt me. And now they're sleeping and I'm stirred up, right? Blood pressure goes up. These crazy thoughts start going on in my mind. I wish that truck would just go off in the ditch. I wish the air conditioner would break in August. You can't say heater because that just don't work around here. They going to get theirs. Oh, trust me. So bitterness starts to slip in. Then anger comes. And then you start to see that person differently than you used to. Remember that most of them are your friends at one time might even be your spouse. Just saying. You start seeing them different. You start talking about them. You know what so-and-so did to me? And it gets worse and worse and worse. And before you know it, you're in bondage to a degree that you're saying things you never thought you would say about that person. You're feeling a certain way about that person that you never thought you would feel before. You're doing things that you never thought you would do before. All because you refuse to bring forgiveness. You refuse to release them. Now that you've opened this door, the enemy's coming in and he's tearing your life up. And you're thinking you're right the whole time. You're thinking they need to come to me and confess their sin. And when they confess their sin, then I'll forgive them. You know what you're saying? You're saying that they determine my freedom. You're saying that I'm waiting on them to be free from all these pains and all these emotions and all these thoughts. I don't know about you, but I don't like depending on somebody else for my freedom. I like to get it for myself. Right? And what Jesus is telling us in his word is that you need to go and forgive people so that you can be free and the door can be shut and the enemy can't come in and take camp in your house. Amen? That's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness is a crazy thing, y'all. Unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person burns. (laughs) You're sitting there burning up thinking that they're the one getting it and they're over there sleeping. You know, nine out of 10 times in my own personal experience, the people that have offended me and hurt me didn't really mean to do it. They didn't really mean it. Most times they, were une- they weren't even aware that they did that. They were clueless. I'm sitting here with a tornado in my house and they're over there living in la-la land. And they're not getting mad about that. Right? And look at them, they're so happy. How can they laugh? Just, just being honest with you. Condemnation produces separation and forgiveness produces restoration. So let me give you this. How do we, why do we have a hard time forgiving others? Can we just be real this morning? How many of you have a hard time forgiving people? Just show me your hands. You're in church. You got to be honest. You just have a hard time forgiving people. I'm with you. I want to give you three reasons why we have a hard time forgiving people. Number one, we have the wrong idea of forgiveness. We don't really understand what forgiveness is. You see, the crazy thing is we've been taught wrong. You've been parented wrong. Yep, that's right. Your parents weren't perfect. Can I get an amen? And you're not perfect as a parent. And all the kids said, <laughs> we, have, we have a bad understanding of forgiveness and so, I believe to learn what forgiveness is, we first have to look at what forgiveness is not. And so, let's look at what forgiveness is not. I'm going to give you three things that forgiveness is not. The first one is forgiveness is not minimizing the offense, forgiveness is not just saying, Oh, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's okay. I'll be okay. I'll be all right. That's not forgiveness. That's trying to subdue something that's only going to build up pressure and blow up one day. Are you hearing me? You're sitting there, oh, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's okay. You just want to herp and, and just kind of get it out the way. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. The reality is it hurts. When you catch your best friend talking about you, it hurts. When somebody does something to hurt you, it hurts. We grew up saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is such a lie. I'd rather get hit with a stone or a stick than to have somebody talk behind my back. Hello? That hurts worse. Hit me with a stick, at least I can see it coming. We can't minimize the offense. We've got to let people know when they hurt us. Forgiveness is really just making people aware of what they've done to you. Because like I said, most of them are clueless. So when somebody hurts you, you need to... Okay, let me give you a little bit let me back up. You need to get all this right first, okay? Because there's times when people first offend me. I'll be honest with you. The old gangster wants to come out. I mean, lay them out, just... But sometimes you need to just pause and you need to wait for a second. Maybe you need to pray. Just saying. And then when you get all this right, you need to go say, hey. So I'm, I'm going to do it in the version of a guy so that you guys can understand this. Ladies, y'all smart. Y'all can catch up. You, you go to your buddy or you go to the person that offended you say, hey, bro. Look, man, I just, just want to help. You hurt me, man. What do you mean? Bro, you, you said this or you did this or, or this happened. Man, that hurt you? Yeah, bro, it hurt straight up. And I just want you to realize that when you when you say that or you do that, it makes me feel a certain way. And so I, I'm just, I'm here to let you know, I, I, I don't think you did it intentionally. Sometimes you got to give them a little butter. I don't think you did it Intentionally but I want you to know I'm not holding it against you. Nine out of 10 times in my life, the person went, dude, I didn't even realize I hurt you. I didn't even know, man. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, man. You know me better than that. I wouldn't try to do that to you. I know, man, but it just, you know, I just want you to know I'm not holding it against you. You know what you just did? You just took your relationship to another level because you just grew in your relationship with that person that you wasn't growing in before, because you would just get offended or hurt and you would keep it to yourself. And then so from their perspective, they would see you hurt and offended and start acting weird and get all cold. And they're kind of looking at you like, man, what's up with them? They got issues. Not even knowing that you're the issue. Bump your neighbor, say you're the issue. I dare you to do that. So don't minimize the offense. The second second thing that that forgiveness is not, it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Sometimes we don't want to forgive people because we don't want to be reconciled to them. I'll prove it to you. When you and your wife get into a fight, which end of the bed do you sleep on? The far corners, right? Why? Because you don't want to be reconciled. Now, I learned the secret to life. You fight, you make up. Because when you make up, you make out. (laughs) Can I get a witness? So sometimes if things are going well for too long, I start a fight. So we can make up. Just joking. But forgiveness is not reconciliation. Sometimes we don't want to forgive them because we don't want to be next to them. And sometimes the person that offends you don't want you around. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is you releasing that person from their sin against you and saying, you know what? I'm not holding anything against you. I forgive you. You've just released yourself and you've released that person. Now, it may take a while for reconciliation to happen. Let me give you some clues on reconciliation. The offender needs to do at least three things to reconcile the relationship. The first one is they need to repent. Repentance means to turn the opposite direction and go the other way. Don't do it again. That's repentance. The offender needs to bring restitution. They need to make things right. When I catch people in the church gossiping, I call them into a private meeting and I say to them, I've I've caught you gossiping. Do you know what gossip does? And if they do or don't, that depends on the conversation. But then from there, I go, okay, now that you know you've gossiped, you're going to turn around And you're going to go back to every person that you gossip to and you're going to make it right. And you're going to call me when you're done. You know why? Because they need to go make it right. Because what they said affected everybody who heard. Are you seeing this? So part of the rest of the reconciliation process is restitution. They need to make things right. The The third part is rebuilding trust. You can't rebuild trust with words. It takes words and action. You got to rebuild trust. So why are you telling me this pastor? Because listen to me, I want you to be quick to forgive, but I don't want you to be naive and walk back into a situation that you don't belong in. I don't want you to go back into a place where you're being abused or you're being taken advantage of or something's hurting you or somebody's doing damage in your life. You don't have to go back until they repent, restitute, build trust. Thank you, G. You follow me? You don't have to go back until those things happen so forgiveness is not, or the wrong idea of forgiveness, it's not reconciliation. And it's also not this third one, forgetting what happened. Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many of you have been told, oh, baby, you just need to forgive and forget? How many of you? Show me your hands. How many of you have been told that? Forgive and forget. Do you know that's a lie? From the devil, the father of lies? Because the reality is you're never going to forget. You're never going to forget. It's going to be with you as long as you're on this planet. Here's the difference maker. You forgive someone when they do something to you. And what you do in forgiving them is you start the process of healing where God comes in. And you got to trust him with this. He comes in and he starts to heal your heart. Because you're never going to forget. But what if you got to run into those people again? What if you remember? Do you still want the pain there? No. Jesus wants to deal with the pain. Even though you're not going to forget. So if you trust him, he'll come in and heal your heart. And then you can remember the situation without the pain. Forgiveness is not... Forgetting, right? God wants to make all things new for us. So the second reason we have a hard time forgiving forgiving others is because we don't think it's fair. Come on, somebody. We don't think it's fair. Let's just be real. We don't want to forgive them because we don't think it's fair. They offended me. Why I got to forgive them. I felt like that for years. And I'd walk around with all this junk in my life waiting on people to say they were sorry. And they were clueless the whole time. We don't want to do it because it's not fair. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to show you something about being fair. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus (laughs) and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus said, nope. Seventy times seven. Now for all you mathematicians, that's 490 times. And he was talking about in one day. That equates to Jesus expects you to forgive somebody every three minutes. So I told the first service this morning, I said, you know what? You got 490 times to forgive somebody. I said, but if for some reason somebody offends you 491 times in a day, if you want to punch them, punch them. Because Jesus didn't say 491. He said 490. Come on, right? I did say, though, but you better call me because if somebody offends you 491 times in one day, I want to know about it because I want to know why you didn't run, why you didn't leave, why you didn't get away. But we don't think it's fair. Watch the rest of the story. Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his uh, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and his kids and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave him his debt. The master felt sorry for him and released him of millions of dollars in debt. How many of you can believe God for that? Watch this. But when the man left the king, He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He was just forgiven of millions. One of his buddies owes him a thousand or two. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you the tremendous debt you pleaded because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I've had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what, the, what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Hey, look at me. Everybody look at me. Thank God he doesn't play the fair game. Because if God chooses to play things fair, I now got to pay the price for my sin. I now got to earn my way to heaven. I now got to pay a debt that I cannot repay if God chooses to play things fair. So when you're refusing to forgive somebody because you don't think it's fair, that just means that you've forgotten the great debt that was forgiven you. Amen. So don't ever get caught up in the thing that I don't think it's fair. I don't think I need to forgive them. I don't think it's right. The third reason why it's hard to forgive people is because we don't think we can do it. Can you tell you how many people I've spoken to and I've said, man, you just need to go and forgive them. You need to just go let them loose. You need to release them. And they go, man, pastor, I hear you, bro. I agree with what the Bible says. But straight up, I can't do it. I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. I can't do it, Pastor. I just, I can't. You know what's happening in that moment? You're you're believing the lies of the enemy that you can't do something. And you need to cross those lies with the truth. The truth is, if God says that you need to forgive people, then that means that he has the power to help you forgive them. Watch this. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything, say everything, through Christ who gives me strength. 2 Corinthians, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Too many times we want to wait till we feel like it to go do it. And what happens is, is our emotions and our feelings lead our life and it leads our choices. When we need to make the choice to do it because we know it's the right thing to do, When we do that, then our feelings will come around and line up. But if you're waiting for your feelings, you're going to be waiting a long time. Amen? God will give you the strength to do it. His power is made perfect when you're at your weakest. Pastor, man, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what it was like. You don't know what I feel. You're right, I don't. But I know what God says. God says. And I know what his word says. And his word says to forgive. And if he says to forgive, then he's got enough power to help you forgive. You just got to trust him. My daddy bailed on me when I was a baby. Stayed out of my life till I was 18. I met him for the first time when I was 18. He came back into my life, wrecked my life, left again. A couple years later, he came back. Left again. A couple of years later, came back, left again. He cut me from the from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. I was a wounded kid, wounded college student. God started dealing with my heart. I started praying for my dad to get saved. God started dealing with my heart because God was dealing with my unforgiveness. God wasn't worried about anything else except my unforgiveness towards my dad. So I was sitting there with this attitude like, Man, you tripping, God. He left me. I didn't do anything wrong. He bailed on me. I didn't bail on him. He's got to come to me. And God kept wearing on me, kept speaking to me, kept moving on my heart, and I kept praying for my daddy. And finally, I'll never forget, we were living in Franklin. He came down. We're balling crawfish. We went to the woods to throw the heads on somebody else's property. You know how we do. (laughs) That's just Cajun, right? I don't want them heads. I get that to my neighbor. We came back in the truck. It's dark. We're sitting in my driveway. I'll never forget. We're in my pickup truck. And and I I just, I got overwhelmed with emotions. And I just went, all right, I'm going to do it. I said, dad. I need you to forgive me. Floored him. Floored him. He broke out into tears and he says, what do you mean? I need to, I need to be the one asking you for forgiveness. You didn't do anything wrong. And I want to go, you're doggone right. I didn't do anything, but I didn't. I said, no, dad. I said, honestly, I, I, I want you to not forgive you. I forgive you for leaving me. I forgive you for not being there for me. I forgive you for walking in and walking out. And I need you to forgive me for all the things I've said about you, all the ways I've felt about you. Will you forgive me? He broke and he said, Son, I forgive you. A couple years later, we have a conversation about why he never came back. You know why my daddy never came back for me? Because he was condemned. He didn't feel like he had the right to come back. He was guilty. Condemnation and guilt kept me from growing up with my father. Tell me it's not powerful. Tell me it's not unhealthy. It stole something from me. It stole it. My dad and I were fine now. We're good. But my initial... Forgiving, opened up the door for the restoration that God wanted to bring. Are you seeing this? Even though I was the offended, I started it and I opened it up. And God came inside of that thing and he moved in a mighty way. God is waiting for you to take that first step to forgive that person that he's reminding you of right now. Because I promise you the Holy Spirit is bringing situations and people to your memory right now. He will give you the power to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. And it's a choice you may have to make every 3 minutes. So let me wrap it up with this. Why forgive? Ephesians 4:31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all evil ty- all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. Remember how we started this whole thing? That when we don't forgive people, we kick open the door to the enemy, and he brings who? He brings his buddy, bitterness, anger, rage, wrath, harsh words. You remember that Jesus is now saying it through his word in Ephesians to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. How do you get rid of that? By forgiving people. Because when you forgive somebody and you release them from their offense, you no longer feel that way anymore. Are you hearing me? Your choice leads your feelings. It may take a little bit of time, but you're going to get healed from that. Are you seeing this? And so he says that, and then he says, forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. How did Jesus forgive you? Do you need to remember that today? How did he forgive you? You know how he forgave me? I was 12 years old. I was at the ABC camp chasing girls all day long. Because that's what you do at the ABC camp, even though it's a church camp. And somewhere between chasing girls and the church service that night, God began to deal with my heart. And at 12 years old, I made a decision to give my life to Jesus. And I confessed and said to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. Will you please forgive me? And it's gone. That's how he forgave me. So that means that's how I need to forgive others. Are you hearing me? Just release them. Just release them. Let them go. Forgive them. Jesus doesn't throw my sins back in my face. He's never once thrown my sin back in my face. Only people have. Jesus never uses it to, to, to do things to me. He never takes my past and uses it against me. He's released me from it. The Bible says that he's actually forgotten about it. So if I go and try to repent of something I did a long time ago, it goes, what you talking about, Willis? I don't know what you're talking about. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. A few more verses and I'm done. You getting something? Listen to these words. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 on. It says, he died for everyone so that those who received his, his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone, say anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Say new person. Look at your neighbor. Say hi, new person. That was cheesy. I can't believe y'all did that. (laughs) Then he says this, the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself because Christ or through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Here's the verse. No longer counting people's sins against them. If you forgive somebody, you don't hold it against them anymore. You release them. Once and for all, you don't bring it back up. You know, the craziest thing about marriage is, is, that Cheryl and I know each other better than anybody else knows us. We got more history together than anybody else. If anybody can remind me of my past, it's my wife. If I'm ever tempted to use her past against her, it's with her. I can do that. I can take her past. I like, say, so you remember a 1997 at three o'clock when you did this? You've always been that way. Come on, you know how it is when we get in a fight with our spouse, right? It's to the death, baby. I mean, the claws come out. This is the person you're wearing a ring with. This is the person you might have made some babies with. It's claws, baby. We're going for the death. Y'all know I'm being real. You'll throw the pass at each other like bricks, man. And the whole time, Jesus doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't count them against us anymore. When we forgive people, we need to let that stuff go. Need to let it go. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Hey, if you're going to release them, release them. Just release them. You know, it burns me more than anything else is when somebody says they forgive me and then they come back a couple months later and they still offended by it. I go, you flipping kidding me. I'm about to really offend you. Seriously, if you're going to forgive me, forgive me. Let me go. Right. Last verse, Matthew, chapter six, 14 and 15. <laughs> this one's kind of hard, y'all. I really hate to use this one against you, but the first half's pretty decent. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Now, that's kind of warm and cozy, right? If you forgive others, God will forgive you. Watch the second half. It gets a little colder. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Why do we need to forgive? Number one, because we've been forgiven. Because our tremendous debt has been paid. So we need to let others, others' debts be paid against us. Amen. We forgive because we've been forgiven. The second reason you forgive is because God tells you to forgive. Because he doesn't want you living in bondage. He doesn't want you to be a hostage. He wants to close the door to the enemy in your life. And he wants you to live the abundant life, free from all this drama, free from all this mess. How many of you hate drama? Come on, raise your hand. So some of you actually like drama. Okay, you didn't raise your hand, so that means you like drama. Watch out, drama's coming your way this week. How many of you don't like drama? There we go. All right, this it's cleared it up. Lord. I hate drama. I especially hate relational drama. It gets us nowhere. It's like spinning your tires. Let me finish with this. Our choices lead our feelings. Make the choice today to forgive somebody that you haven't forgiven yet. So I want to do that this morning. I want to pray for you. And while I'm praying for you, I really believe this, that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about people that you're holding unforgiveness towards. Let me throw this in there, too. That person may be yourself. You may be stuck on not forgiving yourself. Pastor, I can forgive myself. You better believe you can. Maybe you failed at something or maybe you did something that was just boneheaded and you've never forgiven yourself for that. You can forgive yourself today. Because listen to me, if Jesus says, if you'll confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If he can forgive you, then you can forgive yourself.